morning. Welcome to Christ Community Church. Thanks a lot for joining us this week. Larry's going to be preaching on peace. What? You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> Zach said you're welcome. I don't know why, but he did. But Larry's preaching on, preach, oh my goodness, preaching on uh, peace today. And uh, we're going to play some songs. It's going to be a good day. We encourage you guys to worship along with us. Jesus, the great commander, 
You conquered death forever In victory you reign We triumph in your name Our God of mighty warrior You're a consuming fire In victory you reign We triumph in your name Jesus the great commander You conquered death forever In victory you reign We triumph in your name Good morning, Christ Community Church. I hope you all had a great week and are enjoying some of this fabulous sunshine. I'd like to read to you the call of worship, and it is from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Um, I just want to encourage you this week to try to draw closer to Christ, try to do whatever it is that um, we can. I know this has been a horrible time with the snow, boiling water, and of course this pandemic. Um, so let's just look up to the Lord. Let's ask Him to bring us all close together. If you will, just uh, bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to lift up um, our church, our community to you. I ask you to wrap your arms around us all, Lord, and I ask that we are able to remember you and just to um, do all that we can just to, uh, like I said, be brought closer to you and to love one another. And again, Lord, just thank you so much for all that you do for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, guys. Thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard a tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. Oh, and I've seen many searching for answers far and Cause you know just what we need before we say a word. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who 
Sunday morning uh, Bible study and worship time. We're so glad you're Christ here. Community Church. Yep. We are very glad that you have chosen to join us, and um, we're happy to be here, too. I'm, I'm happy, happy that you're here. here. Well, I'm happy to be uh, here. I'm happy you're here. All right. All right. I'm going to open, Please. like we do during the season of Lent, with a reading from uh, a passage from this book that we like so much, Bread and Wine. And this particular passage is talking about the writer. It's a, it's a little essay about how children have a tendency to like Christmas better than Easter. And so she is... Um, yeah, so she's talking about that. And she says, Easter tells us of something children can't understand because it addresses things they don't yet have to know. The weariness of life, the pain, the profound loneliness and fear, and, uh, hovering fear of meaninglessness, 
Yet in the midst of this desolation, we find Jesus triumphant over death and shockingly alive, Mm. uh, Mm. uh, present to us in ways we cannot understand, much less explain. You'll be talking about a little bit of that today. In Him we find vibrancy of life, Mm. a firm compassion that does not deny our suffering but transforms and illuminates it. Mm. He is life itself. As life incarnate, He could not be held back by death. Mm. This is not a children's tale. Grown-ups are taller and can see farther and know what hard blows life brings. Mm. Easter may be boring to some children, and it is blessedly unencumbered with the silly fun that plagues Christmas. Yet it contains the one thing needful for every human life, the good, good news of the resurrection. Mm. Thank you. He is alive. He is alive and and well and... He's alive indeed, and I'm thankful he is. And that uh, life and death and resurrection that we celebrate at Easter, it changes things. Changes everything. Changes everything, doesn't it? Oh, I was supposed to read that last part. I forgot. There was a little part (laughs) that I was going to read that says Easter Easter changes everything, and I forgot to read it. You're right. What a great thought, Geraldine. Indeed. Easter changes everything. It does. And it does. one of the things that Easter <laughs> changes is the, the harmony uh, in our relationships with one another. Yes, indeed. Um, it, it, it impacts and changes for good um, the relational, I guess I should say, disharmony. Or unharmony? Disharmony, I think, yeah. Uh, uh, that we all experience in our relationships and moves it, or at least potentially moves it, from a place of disharmony or to, discord. A place, discord yeah. to a place of harmony and, and unity and love. And that's what I want to talk about today uh, as we prepare for Easter. Um, I told you all last week that I uh, was going to move on this week from the book of Numbers. Uh, and I, we are, but I wanted to say one last thing from the book of Numbers that sort of launches us into our study today. Good. And that is that in Numbers chapter 6, God tells Moses to tell Aaron, who represents the priesthood, he says, uh, tell Aaron when he prays over and prays for God's people, I want him to pronounce a blessing over my people. And here's what I want the blessing to, to say. Here's what I want Aaron to, to, to say as a blessing over my people. He says, say, may the Lord bless you and protect you and smile upon you and be gracious to you and show you God's favor and fill you with his peace. Uh, hmm. One of the things that God tells Aaron, that he wants proclaimed and prayed over um, concerning his people. He wants God's people to experience God's peace. And um, it's a big deal to God that we experience that peace. In fact, in Judges chapter 6... 
God reveals one of his names, uh, actually to Gideon, but to all of us. He says that he is Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace, or the Lord is our peace. Both are accurate translations or renditions. Prince of peace. Yes, we're going to get to that in a few minutes. Uh, But that's true, uh, that the Lord is our peace, Jehovah Shalom. Um, In the, the, the mind of a biblical person, the people that lived during the time of the, of the Bible uh, writings, um, peace was an incredibly important treasure, uh, commodity, uh, uh, gift. It was, it was highly valued uh, by the people of Bible times. Um, uh, it, it was, uh, uh, in the Old Testament, the word peace was the word shalom. Right. And in the New Testament, it's the Greek word arene. But really, the, the definition or the meaning of shalom and arene, Hebrew, shalom, uh, Greek, arene, they're exactly the same. Same meaning. Um, and uh, uh, yes, the basic idea of peace, of shalom, arene, would be what most people would think of, and that is that peace is the absence of conflict, the absence of war, the absence of division. And that is included, but the biblical meaning of peace or shalom uh, is much deeper, much richer, much fuller than that. Um, it, really, it originally comes, surely, from the idea of um, a stone. A stone would be shalom, uh, meaning that it, it, it doesn't have any cracks. Mm. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a perfectly round, solid stone with no cracks. Hmm. It later on became a word that would be used to describe a wall without gaps or without any uh, rocks missing or any stones or bricks missing. It's complete. It's whole. It's, it's solid. It all is as it should be, if you will. Um, it, it became a word, shalom became a word that would uh, communicate uh, something that is complex, something that's multifaceted, and yet it still operates in a state of wholeness, uh, a state of harmony. It's, it's the idea that Paul was trying to communicate in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12 when he was describing the body. The body is complex, it's multifaceted, uh, but it's made up of many parts that are all working for the common good, for the good of the whole. And that, that, that idea that the body is made up of many parts, but it's all working together in harmony, right. that's shalom. That's what the Bible means by shalom. And the Bible uses this word shalom, peace, uh, all the time. Uh, Job said that his farm was in a state of shalom because when he counted his sheep, none of them were missing. I love that. It's that complete. It's, it's complete. There's nothing missing. My, my, my farm is in a state of shalom. 
David, when he went to visit his brothers before they went into battle against the Philistines, he asked them, are you shalomed? Are you? And what he meant was, are you lacking anything? Do you have everything you need before you go into battle? Are you shalomed? I love that yeah. idea. Solomon. You don't hear it used like that at all. No, of course not. Uh, uh, Solomon, the Bible says, he shalomed the temple. And what that what they were saying was he completed the temple. He made the temple as it was supposed to be. He, he, he made it so that it operated in harmony. The, the, the priesthood, those that kept it in repair, those that operated the sacrifices, those that did the worship, everything was working as it should be. He made it work well. He made it whole. Moses said in uh, the Torah, he said that if a neighbor wronged a neighbor, he needed to shalom that neighbor, make things right, make things as they should be. Uh, and what I found of great significance as I studied this idea of shalom was that when God told Moses what the job description of the future kings of Israel were supposed, what it what their, what their job looked like, what they were supposed to do when they had kings. He said one of their most important jobs is the kings of Israel were supposed to create a kingdom of shalom. Their job was to create, to establish, and then maintain and protect an atmosphere of peace, of shalom, in which the people of God would live, would dwell. That was their job. Now, they didn't do a very good job of that. The kings <laughs> failed miserably at creating and maintaining that, but that it was the goal. That was the goal that God had for them. I want you to create and maintain an atmosphere of shalom for my people to live in. Basically, when the Bible talks about shalom, it's talking about, it's communicating that life is complicated, and it's full of interconnected uh, and codependent parts. And when one small part or group of parts fails or gets out of harmony, breaks apart, messes up, that actually affects the whole. Sure. And therefore it needs to be shalomed. It need because when a few when a when small parts get out of sort and it's going to negatively impact the greater good, the greater whole, it must be addressed, it must be shalomed, it must be restored, it must be placed back in harmony. It's like if you have pain in your body, but just like in one small spot. And yet your whole body but your whole body hurts. Hurts and needs yes. to be Shalom. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes, the idea of shalom was more than just getting rid of the wrong, getting rid of the bad, getting rid of that which was sickly um, or had failed. Um, it was important that it, the bad not just be removed, but that it be replaced with that which is good and complete and whole and well and right. Um, the Bible says that brothers should dwell in shalom. Um, neighbors should treat each other with shalom. The Bible is, uh, says that enemies were to 
respond to each other with attitudes of shalom, that they needed to make things right. Uh, uh, even The Bible even says that nations, by God's design, were to shalom one another, to, to relate in harmony with one another. It wasn't enough, when you look at the idea of shalom, it wasn't enough to just stop the fighting. You needed to replace it with uh, relationships where they worked well together, they harmonized together, uh, they related well to one another. Um, we know that after Adam and Eve fell in the garden, um, one of the tragic consequences of the fall uh, was the loss of shalom. Relationships no longer enjoyed that harmony. The the, the harmony that Adam and Eve had with each other and with God before the fall, that was greatly damaged. And every relationship in the Bible that was given any print, any ink, that we know anything about, the Bible emphasizes that discord, that loss of, of shalom. Um, Adam and Eve, they fell, they immediately start fighting and blaming each other, right? Uh, Cain and Abel, Abraham and Sarah, uh, Abraham and Lot, Abraham, uh, uh, Sarah and Hagar, um, everybody, uh, everybody uh, uh, Jacob and Esau, Jacob and Laban. I mean, every relationship that the Bible emphasizes or gives us detail on it, one of the things that it communicates is it reminds us, do you see this loss of shalom? That which was that was in the garden has now been lost. Um Tragically, well, I think one of the saddest declarations in the Bible we find twice in uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, both prophets say this, you deceive yourselves by telling one another, shalom, shalom, when there is no shalom. Mm. You think about that. I, I, when I read that uh, every year as I read through the Bible, I mm. always think about uh, the United Nations. And I think about our own Congress. Those huge rooms filled with the most powerful people in the world, they're all sitting there in $2,500 suits declaring to one another, shalom, shalom. They don't mean... There's no shalom. There's no shalom. They don't even mean... I'm sure if they tell themselves that enough times, they even deceive themselves. But really who they're trying to deceive is one another. Well, it's not just the United States. Uh, States Congress and the UN, right? No, it is around the dinner table <laughs> uh-huh. of many homes uh-huh. <laughs> right here in our well, neighborhood, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, the Bible says... Sometimes right here. Sometimes right here, that's exactly <laughs> right. Um, no, that's true. No, it's true. Um, the Bible says that relationships now function in a state where there is not shalom, that are absent of shalom, shalom with God. Shalom with other people. I find it very significant. I was just thinking about this the other day. If you read the parables of Jesus, the overwhelming majority, I couldn't think of an exception. I'm sure there are, and maybe some of y'all can remind me of, of an exception, but I couldn't think of one. But the overwhelming majority of the parables of Jesus include in, uh, one of the things that it emphasizes is this loss of shalom. Um, the prodigal son the unforgiving servant, the good Samaritan, the, the parables Jesus tells about the king and his servants, 
the king and his subjects, the 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 uh, yeah. the landowner and his and those people that he leased the land to. Over and over and over again, these parables that Jesus told they they emphasize that our relationships operate with a loss of shalom. It's not there anymore. Um, even um, uh, I was, I, you know, I'm in Leviticus where you know the Bible's talking about all these sacrifices. The priests are bringing all these animal sacrifices and offering them. And one of the underlying messages, you know, people say, well, what's that all about? Why is that in the Bible? And why did God tell them to do that? Well, there's a lot of answers to that question. But one of the reasons was that there is an underlying message that all of those sacrifices communicates, and that is that we have lost our shalom with one another and with God, and we must look to the sacrifice and the suffering and the death of an innocent to try to reclaim it. Yeah, That's very significant uh, to me that to restore shalom demands the sacrifice and the suffering and the death of an innocent. Uh, without that sacrifice, without that suffering, without that death, is shalom in relationships with God and with each other really possible? That uh, dare we shalom shalom when there is no shalom right that's right. right you know what I'm saying yeah, yes yes um, God created shalom for us when He sent the Lord Jesus His Son the Son of God to this earth as an innocent to live and suffer and sacrifice and die that was God's plan to provide perfect and permanent shalom in our relationship with God and in our relationship with one another. God said 600 years before Jesus came, I'm going to send a Messiah. You quoted the verse earlier. I'm going to send someone who will reclaim that shalom, restore that shalom both with people and me and people with each other. In Isaiah chapter 9, he, uh, the, the Bible says, A child is born to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. And the greatness of his rule and the greatness of his peace will never end. Uh, and when Jesus came, he came to restore that shalom. That which the Old Testament kings of Israel failed to do, maybe because they couldn't do it, maybe they didn't uh, because they didn't want to do it. No, they didn't I, want to. I, I don't know whether it was because they couldn't or wouldn't do it, but they never established that shalom for God's people that was lost in the garden. But the king of kings... God's son, when he came, he did restore it. He did reestablish it. Um, That's what Jesus came to do, was to create and restore peace, shalom in our relationship with God and with one another. Listen, just listen to these verses that talk about Jesus' ministry of bringing shalom back into the world. In John 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, shalom I leave with you, my shalom I give to you. 
I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Jesus is saying there, I'm giving to you through my ministry, through my life, through my death, through my sacrifice and suffering and death, I'm giving you the shalom relationship that I have with my Father and with the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you that relationship with me and with them and potentially with one another. Right. Um, in Romans 5, Paul says, we have been justified through faith and we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We now have shalom with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He didn't just bring peace. He didn't just bring shalom. He, he is, is our peace. shalom. Yeah. He is our peace. He is our arene, the Greek word. Um, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And then a little further in Ephesians 2, he says, his purpose, God's purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility, their lack of peace. He came and preached peace to those, to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. And then finally in Colossians 1, Paul says again, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his shed blood on the cross. The heart of the gospel, the heart of the message of the Bible is that God sent his son to, to sacrifice, to suffer, and to die so that the shalom that was lost in the garden when man said, no thanks God, we'll do it our way. God said, well... You can try it for a while, but I'm going to fix it. I'm going to restore it. I'm going to put it back as it should have been. And the only way that I can do that is by the sending of my son, that the innocent, the innocent, to sacrifice, to suffer, and to die so that shalom could be restored. Now, here's my final point. And this is what I hope that we'll think about in the days ahead. Jesus came to create shalom. And believe it or not, God put that calling upon Jesus. That's what God asked Jesus to do. I want you to go into the world and I want you to create shalom. I want you to restore shalom. And the only way he could do that is by his willingness to sacrifice and suffer and die. Do You know, God has also put that very same calling on me and on you. Um, he says in Mark 9, live in shalom with one another. And then in Ephesians 4, the Bible says, be completely humble and gentle and patient and bear with one another in love and make every effort, do everything that you can to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of shalom, the bond of peace. And I just want to make a 
I want to make a declaration that I believe very strongly, and you might agree, you might not agree, but either way, I challenge you to think about this. All true peace, all true shalom, all true relational oneness, relational harmony, it only comes through sacrifice, through suffering, and through death. God has not just called us to enjoy His shalom. He has called us to create it as well, to establish it, to restore it, to extend it. And that only comes by our willingness to emulate the Prince of Peace. We can become small princes of peace when we choose to willingly sacrifice and suffer and die to self to create peace with other people. Shalom does not come. Shalom is not created by agreement, by power, by intelligence or reason, or by winning or persuasion or by being right. Shalom doesn't come um, by just getting rid of the people in our lives that are difficult, that are divisive, that create uh, problems and conflict for us. You know, that's what, if, if I can just be around people that I agree with, I'll have shalom. I'm not saying that's not nice, but that's not where shalom is created. I would challenge you that just being in a room with, of people where I agree with them, that is not where we experience biblical shalom. Um, getting rid of the difficult people in our lives. That will not create shalom in our lives. God has called us to be small Jesuses, people who own the responsibility, unlike the kings of Israel who would not own that responsibility. God is asking us, if you've experienced my shalom through accepting the, the death of my son, I want you now to be to own the responsibility of extending that shalom into this world, into your family, into your city, into your workplace, into your, into your nation. Be a, a, a source through which I can extend my shalom. Yeah. But that's only going to come by my willingness to suffer, to sacrifice when I'm driving on the highway, doing what I know God wants me to do rather than what my flesh wants in the line at the grocery store, at the bank, um, what you, pick the place. Um, when we choose to not only accept God's shalom, but we choose to extend God's shalom, then, and, and, and that will only happen as we choose to sacrifice and suffer and die to ourselves. But when we choose to do that, we will be owning the calling and the purpose that God created us for. And what a wonderful calling and purpose to embrace and fulfill. I hope that we'll think about that as we approach Easter. You know, like the, like the reading said, this is not a story for children. No. It is not. No, it's it, not. It is a story no, for, for people who want to serve the Lord and serve each other and bring peace. That is not a, it's not a fairy tale. And uh, sometimes it will be, I mean, I said, it's costly. It's costly to suffer, to sacrifice, and to die. 
But that's how I'll create real peace. Not peace, peace, when there is no peace. Right. Um, you know, just by bullying people and uh, overpowering people and persuading people. I can do that. But that's not, there's no peace there. No, there's no peace anyway. there. No. There's no peace there. Not real peace. Not real shalom. Um, we are going to eat bread and drink wine. And we do that because the Bible tells us, Jesus himself tells us, that this bread represents his body and this wine represents his blood. And we eat and we drink today as a way of reminding ourselves and declaring to one another that we have experienced the shalom of God. We have experienced that shalom. And it has made, it's changed everything. It's made everything different and good. And really, I want it to be just a, a prayer also that we ask God, we're eating and drinking this to remember the shalom that we've received, but we're also eating and drinking this just as a prayer to you. Help us become sources of shalom, especially in places where there is no shalom. Yeah. Help us to embrace that role because that is what you called us to do. So let's eat and let's drink. Thank you. I want to thank y'all for being here with us today. Um, I hope this has been provocative and challenging and thought-provoking. Provoke, provoke, provoking. Provoking, thank you. Um, just about how would God want me to be a source of shalom in my world this week and this, this season as we prepare for Easter. I pray that the Lord would bless you and protect you and smile upon you and be gracious to you and show you His favor and fill you with His peace this week. Bless you. Thanks for being with us. Bye-bye. of my soul When the waters of my fears begin to rise Feel your love taking hold In the valley of my mind On the road of the unknown When the shadows of my doubts are closing in You are the light that brings me home When I breathe I don't understand but I can feel Every waking moment in your presence This My worries at your feet 
Even in my struggle, I'll surrender Your peace won't let me go When my strength is nearly gone When my wells have all run dry It's your kindness that will lead me to your arms Where I find grace that you supply Cause when I breathe I don't understand but I can feel Every waking moment your presence, this peace won't let me go. There is freedom in laying all my worries at your feet. Even in my struggle, I'm surrendering your peace. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Surely all that you promise, so much more than I can see. I will rest in the assurance that I have all I need here in the Father's peace. When I breathe. Thanks again for joining us. We're Christ Community Church. We will be back on Facebook Live and YouTube Live next, next week. I'm having a trouble. I think it's the mustache. It's, I can't talk because of the mustache. So come back next week. We'll be here at 1015 and also at Botanic Gardens if you want to come join us live in person. Fellas, anything else? You're welcome. You're welcome. We'll see you next Sunday.